From the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we're learning together how to walk in the age of Christian fulfillment. That's important about this show. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Let's pray together. Lord, we uh, ask you to be with us. This is a momentous time in uh, U.S. history. We have all sorts of factions going at it. We have threats. We have uh, disease, apparently. We have mass. We have, uh, we have apparently, um, no disease. We have uncertainty, and uh, we just want to come to you and bring you to the forefront of everything and talk about this, uh, this information that we th- feel is important to the faith today. So be with Seth and, and uh, Mags and Wendy and help them and, and all that they do to keep the show going out there. Bless the viewers who tune in and uh, let them be led by your spirit. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Also, we pray for the Armenian boys and uh, the lonely and depressed, coming elections, it's all on our hearts. Hey, just want to let you know, the watchdog ministry, checkmychurch.org, is starting up a podcast service to the world, and you might want to check that out uh, as Sarah imparts her wisdom and knowledge of religious abuses and religious blessings to the audience. Check below. Click that little arrow, check below. All the details for everything is there. The secrets to the creation are there check below. And hey, remember, we have gone through the Bible in our verse-by-verse study, only have four books left to cover, five if you include Romans, which we're repeating in milk because the recordings weren't good. But our meat uh, gatherings, we're going to start 2 Timothy next week, Titus, which is very short, Philemon, which is one chapter, and then the Gospel of Mark, and all the rest are archived and available for the rest of you to access. You can go pick a book, Go through verse by verse with us. It's there. You can challenge it, debate it, question it, or learn from it. But we've done that for you so that you have access to the word verse by verse. Additionally, I'm working hard on the TVAR that stands for Transversional Apostolic Record. And uh, for those of you who wonder or care, it's going to be a super good resource, especially relative to eschatology and other factors uh, like that in the footnote notation. I am almost halfway through the book of Revelation. I chose to do Revelation after we did the Synoptic Gospels because it's so difficult. There is so much to consider on how to cover, I mean, even just certain words. But halfway through, what it's going to mean when I'm done with Revelation is that we'll have the the book of Revelation itself noted with all the notes to help you understand the verses, especially relative to eschatology. We're going to have a separate book for every chapter of Revelation. We have 10 of those complete. A separate book that you can have that as you read Revelation, you can also read the book in addition to those footnotes that go along with it. And then on the cover of each of those a book, something that I think is fun, is I've taken the core issues of each chapter and I've depicted it in acrylic etching. And so there's going to be one of those on the cover of each of the 22 books once we're finished. That's probably going to be a a release that we do as a ministry that'll be separate from the TVAR and pre uh, the full publication of the TVAR. So uh, look forward to that. Pray for us. We need your help. We have a lot of things going as we continue to build the ministry. And it's for the future, by the way. It is for the future. So before, and it's also for now, for those of you who tune in, we're grateful, definitely. But we got to get it all done and ready for it to be totally accessed. Before we get to your comments on the past uh, shows, which we'll wrap the show up with tonight, let's hit on the topic of Christian anarchy uh, one more time. We talked about chomping on Chomsky, uh, verse, uh, I mean, show one and two, parts one and two. That helped laid out or lay out for you why I am a Christian anarchist. And uh, so, uh, and I use some of the principles that were brought forward a couple of weeks ago by John Locke and John Stuart Mill and Willem von Humboldt and others, uh, summarized by Chomsky uh, to explain the driving purposes, the key points of my Christian anarchy. So I just want to talk about three points tonight. The first one has a lot of information, and then, and then you'll understand as we go. Point number one, the faith ought to operate by the same principles that are found in classical liberal environments. The faith, 
That's what I've done. I've borrowed from these environments in the political arena and I've applied them to what I think should be present in Christianity. I see 11 principles essential to Christian libertarianism today or, or classical Christian liberalism. And they include, but are not limited to one, the faith is subjectively understood, believed, and lived. And as such, I see the following ideals as vital, not only to the survival of the faith, but its ability to thrive in the future. All right? I think there should be an ever-increasing, abiding presence of liberty. That's the first thing. That's it. Liberty is really important to classical liberals. All right? And it's defined as the ability to understand, believe, and live as a believer sees fit, so long as they are not a threat to the liberty of others or threaten them, end quote. Liberty should be, should be fundamental to every church. Individualism is of utmost importance in the church, meaning no cultural, no political, no institutional demand or expectation is imposed upon anyone for any reason whatsoever. This is supported by the fact that God created all of us uniquely and the traits he supplied us with ought not be infringed upon. I got to silence my phone in case that happens again. Silenced. In summary, and this is radical to some, but I believe that the rights of the individual are more important than the rights of the collective. And I think if you start there, then you can build upon it being a liberal, open, free uh, society. All individuals are worthy of kindness and worthy of respect and worthy of love. I'm going to play into that with more uh, uh, characteristics in just a minute. There should be, in my estimation, a healthy skepticism of power within every church. That's what's in classical liberalism. That's what should be in the church. And power is defined as getting people to do what you want that they would otherwise not do on their own. Okay? Many powers, people in power, suggest that to manipulate and force people to do what they want is in their best interest, right? And I maintain that every individual knows what's best for them, and they ought to have a constant capacity to choose to act or not for themselves. So when it comes to power, I don't think there's any need for a pastor to say, hey guys, we need you to show up to this week's service project to help the widows in the neighborhood. God expects that of you. That's manipulation. That's imposing power to get people to do what they don't want to do. I think it's better to have the widows suffer and let the people in the church realize their suffering and choose to help them rather than to manipulate and control people to get them to help. That's how serious and important uh, liberty is and freedom is in this uh, uh, view. Additionally, I, I suggest that the universal rules of law are upheld. What do I mean universal rules of law? This was uh, part and parcel of uh, classical liberalism. And what that means is there would be no rule, no law, no imposition that would treat any individual differently than another. And I, I am really, really sold out on that. No rules or laws, especially for white people or black people or homosexuals or females or disabled souls, men, whatever. None. No infringement by laws on how to treat other people specially. A human is a human. Leave it at that. It's up to them to work out in their life how their life is going to uh, be, uh, uh, how it's going to be, how it's going to function and how they're going to create it. And I don't believe that there should be rules within a church uh, that tell people how you must treat another group of people. I don't care how many people cry, we need special treatment, we need special treatment. I don't believe in it. I don't think it's good. I think people should be free to do what they want so long as it doesn't you know, harm, physically harm another individual. There is a nod to spontaneous order in um, classical liberalism. 
Order is the existence of regularity and predictability. That's what order is sort of seen as. And many people assume that for order to exist, there has to be people barking orders for order to be. And I would suggest that based on in the individuals involved, order will arise spontaneously. It will happen, therefore eliminating the need for the govern governance of men. In other words, when people voluntarily choose to participate with others in a thing, whatever that thing is, order will be established among them. And this is especially true when the people are spirit-led in the Christian faith. So, because where the spirit is, there is liberty. That's a passage. So, the people come together and it's uh, organically comes together and there's order because where the spirit is, there is liberty and people get things done the way they want to do them within their own group. We don't need people standing over us telling us how and what to do. I've seen this play out at campus time and time again uh, where people come and go and they establish order among themselves without any intervention uh, at all from anybody up. It's, it's a beautiful thing. So Christians don't need people to plan out their lives. We don't need uh, people of authority to get together and decide that on Wednesday nights, the men should gather and have themselves a Bible study. And it's got to last for at least 45 minutes because the Holy Spirit can't even get in the car and drive down to the place before 45 minutes. Forget all that stuff. Let's go by the classical rules of liberalism and let there be uh, instantaneous order and, and, and organic. There's the freedom to gather. Meaning, believers can gather for any reason or any way on any topic or purpose without infringement of powers that be. You don't need to have a pastor or a board of elders decide if someone can get together and do something. And, you know, I think that's important. There's a free market faith. And what I mean by that is no church power of authority ought to insert itself on any matter relative to the individual unless it deals directly with that individual causing them or others harm. Free diet, free dress, free days of the week, free political engagement, free exchange of ideas, free beliefs, free vacationing, free giving or not. Uh, no matter how challenging these things might be, there should be a free market faith. In an age where the Holy Spirit reigns and God writes his laws on the hearts and minds of others, only free exchanges should remain without fear. Without fear. We do not have anything to fear. So uh, that leads me to a quick sidebar that I want to present to you. It's up on the wall in the back. No one pays attention to it. It's something that I created because I think it's kind of cool. And it helps people decide what they might want to do with uh, their life. But it's just something that, like I said, it's up in the back. And I call it the flawed method of living. And uh, again, no one uh, has to pay any attention to it, but this is just an, an example of to be able to freely express. The flawed method's an acronym. The, the F is faith, yeah, which comes by the hearing of the word. Love is the L, which uh, means dying to the flesh. Art, which is, can be seen in hundreds of thousands of different expressions in Christians. So I think if you're a Christian looking for some sort of direction, the flawed method is great. Start with faith, go with love, go with art, the W is work, because work is very important to the things you're going to do in your life. I mean, if you don't think work's important, you're never going to grow. You're not going to learn anything. You're, you're, you're never going to accomplish much. Work is necessary, right? The E is education, learning, gathering knowledge from all dimensions. And then finally, D is dimension, which is another way of talking about growing in the faith, maturing in the faith. The flawed method, just something that uh, if you're looking for an easy layout of important Christian virtues, we have the flawed method here. Another essential to the faith in this first uh, part that I'm pointing out is toleration. And people hate that word now. It used to be like popular and, and then it's unpopular. Uh, toleration, which is a belief that someone should not interfere with something which they disapprove of um, unless accepting physical harm. So toleration is not supporting something that you like or believe. 
Toleration is present when it's something you don't like or don't believe and it's being presented to you and you don't agree. So where we think of you is wrong, we do not seek to interfere or inhibit another person just because they differ with us. That's called toleration. And it's very important to classic liberal thought because you want the right for all people to express what they want to express when they want to express it. And I don't know what side you think is, like if you go into the political realm, which is more restrictive on free, uh, on, on expression and toleration, whichever one you think it is, but I can't stand it when someone tells me you can't say that. You don't get to say that. That's not right. It's not correct. That's wrong. That's evil. Uh, no, no. And the group that puts that on you the most, that is the more sinister of the groups. When they try to restrict free speech, and that is especially true in church. So a classic example of that is free speech. We may find someone's expressions reprehensible, but toleration says that we are far more dedicated for their right to express it than to hinder them and saying we don't uh, uh, and stop them from expressing the thing that we don't agree with. So I think toleration is important. Peace in the in the uh, faith is so important, and uh, it's an essential. With peace being defined as things that are going on without violence or war. So you can see these are all fitting in with each other. There is this open ability to express who you are, what you are, what you believe, what you think, without the fear of retaliation, experiencing toleration, and these are all related to uh, the environment of peace. You know, Christ is the Prince of Peace. And, and we, go, we go to so much warfare with each other over things, uh, and those, it's, that warfare is often established because of rules and authorities who are telling us what you can and can't do. So peace comes naturally when the law has been removed. So peace is really, really important. No alienation, no division super important to the faith and is best maintained in a free movement of ideas, lives, and ways. And then finally, of all of those, there's a very, very limited, very limited church government. Uh, there should be, in my estimation. I mean, the only really church governing that goes on is who's going to open the building? Do they have the keys? Who's going to be responsible for closing the building, turning the lights off, and, uh, and securing it? You know, uh, everything else comes about spontaneously, as we talked about, organically, and exists as it does because that's what exists. And if it was to change, it would change. So uh, that was the first point, and I said there was a lot. The second point doesn't have very much, in fact, none. I'm just going to tell you what the point is, and that is. With the first point being the faith would be best operate by the same principles found in classical liberal environments. The point number two is to note that the faith would throw authority, all of it. It should be gone. There is none. They can't justify it. Um, it doesn't exist. They don't have it, so let's get rid of it. I don't know why that hasn't happened. Immediately call for, we should be calling for the complete eradication of uh, all men and women who claim to speak for God on behalf of others or to impose any sort of authority of God upon others. No hierarchies, no arches, but Christ. We want Christ by the Spirit alone as our arche. We will be responsible to Him and Him alone for our every choice, our belief, the decisions, and our behaviors in our lives. Goodbye, priests, bishops, pastors, prophets, reverends, popes, Apostles, elders, 70s, deacons, presidents, counselors, goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. You have no authority. Gone. You will notice I didn't include in that list of people teachers. I didn't include preachers. I didn't include people who share the faith. It's not that they have authority. They don't. They are simply serving to teach and instruct and to share. So I didn't include them because I don't see them as positions of authority. But uh, servants and teachers should be autonomous in their call 
and answering to no authority and coming and going as led of the Spirit. The follow-up from men will be, well, who will oversee the preachers and teachers uh, and who will govern them and who will govern the people that come to the faith? The people will govern themselves by the Holy Spirit within them. Who will challenge false teachings? Who will challenge bad preachings? Teachers, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit challenges it. Every believer who has a spirit can listen to a teacher and decide by the Spirit if it's true or not. Can open the Bible and decide whether what they say is true or not. You know, we're just getting rid of it. Who will conduct? Who will monitor sin? Who will marry people? Who will conduct and arrange funerals? Whoever. Spontaneous organization happens. We see it here at all the time at campus. So quiet yourselves. The stuff works itself easily when no human hierarchies are involved. So that's number one. All positions of authority over others in God's name are done in the age of fulfillment. This brings us to stuff that really worries people and causes them to elect authorities to decide what should be done and how. And what I'm talking about is practices, religious practices, like water baptism, confirmation, communion, sacraments, blessings, marriages, church membership, formal services, to name a few. People want to know how those practices should be done. The very presence of those things have created hierarchies of power to come in and govern the way those things should be done, they say. By removing authorities first, then we automatically are liberated in our approach to the mechanics of the faith thereafter. So I know people who get really hinky over this stuff. They want someone to tell them how to baptize, how many droplets of water should be sprinkled, how a prayer should be said, who can baptize, who can serve communion, what's in the communion, what is said at communion. All of the mechanics of the faith are all orchestrated and manipulated by the authorities that we've put in place. But uh, in the age of fulfillment, we're entering in where the mechanics are irrelevant. We're saved by grace through faith. That's the basics, right? So what to do with the mechanics of the faith? Uh, what do they look like? For some, they may exist. For others, they may not exist at all. It's up to the individual. We do open water baptisms here. And some people say, do I need to be baptized? It's up to you. I want to be baptized in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay. I want to be baptized in Jesus' name only. Okay. I want my mom to baptize me. Okay. What do you want? This is what I want. Okay. Those are the mechanics. These people want to take communion. We don't think they should. That's authority. I want to take communion and I'm not sure I'm a believer. That's up to you. You see the difference? When we embrace it openly like this, then we take the mechanics and we say, you got to go about it. You study it and hear what all the sides are and you decide what you want to do and the authority is removed. That's the Christian anarchy. So water baptism, do it or not, whatever mode you think is best, have at it, go at it, study it if you want or if you don't want. All I can say is you do not need some phony religious power standing over you and deciding how your baptism is supposed to go down. You're free. Marriage, since, God's, since marriage in God's eyes is when the two become one, that's marriage. Looking at biblical history, there was no marriage performed with Abraham and Sarah and, and Hagar. There's no marriage performed in Adam and Eve. It's when the two become one. Uh, there's no need for a third party. None. Want to have a wedding and someone says something? Anyone can do it. That's religious anarchy. It's bringing us back to the principles of classic liberalism, which I think are... Uh, so... Um, no fake leadership inserting itself. Going to church? Uh, church is really a misnomer in the age of fulfillment because it automatically makes us think of a building, right? So let's rewrite that in our head tonight. Let's, let's call brick and mortar religious institution and everything associated with it as prisons. Let's call them lockups. Let's, I'm going to the lockup today. Oh, really? That, that's synonymous with I'm going to church. Why? Because they lock you up and they tell you what you got to believe. They tell you how you got to think, how you got to live. Instead of letting the Spirit do that and God writing His, lights on, uh, heart on, writing His laws on the hearts and minds of people. Where the freedom and where the Spirit is, there is liberty. You see, see the difference in the approach? 
So let's rewrite that in, in our mind. Let's call believers the body. And let's call the churches the lockup because that's what they often become, almost always become. Uh, so, intend, so in terms of attending a real church, there's no compulsion, attend or not. There's no demands. There's no musts. There's none of that. All are welcome. The body can be in a dedicated location. It can be in a home. It can be at sea in the mountains. It can be completely unauthoritative, free and unlimited. And I strongly suggest that. So that seems pretty simple, but so far everything I've recommended leads to individual freedom and resists the ubiquitous effort of men's to take, men to take control and authority or to capture people. Uh, having taken this approach at campus here in Salt Lake City, I can attest to you that it requires a steady effort to try to keep people as free as things are constantly popping up that push us to make rules, constantly. It's, a, it's almost a weekly thing. We gotta make a rule. And it's been kind of fun to sit back and watch how it happens, you know? Um, and, but I also wanna say that rules don't necessarily, not rules, I wanna say there's a difference between authority and leadership. You see, there's a huge difference between those two. And uh, leadership is required at any gathering, but it's not authority. It's just good leadership. If the building catches on fire, it would be good if there was a leader to say, everybody go out the west door instead of the east door or whatever it is. Leadership doesn't mean authority. Someone could say, you're not my boss. And you could say, you're right, I'm just suggesting it, right? So if we bring that idea into gatherings of believers, it might be of assistance. Leadership can exist without any basis of justified authority in God's name. Good leadership in an anarchistic sense will always strive to resist unjustified authority while seeking to constantly minimize and eliminate infiltrators to the faith and the common good of all. I'm fully supportive of sound, selfless, service-oriented leadership. Absolutely. Nothing wrong with that. But when that leadership, if that leadership ever says, this is what you should do. This is what you must do. I'm speaking for God. That moves from leadership to authority. And there's a problem there. There's a real problem since the Holy Spirit is living with each of us. Almost done. We can see that there's a tight connection then between assumed authority, which we've already talked about, religious practices, the mechanics of the faith, and the final uh, uh, final. Um, vista to cover, and that's doctrine. And generally speaking, there is a doctrine or a belief that someone wants to establish and set in place, authority steps in, and they say, this is the doctrine, we are the authority, you need to believe, accept, carry that doctrine around with you. And then it carry, that doctrine carries forward to practice, like baptisms and marriage, etc. So there's a relationship between the three, authority, doctrine and praxis. And that's why in Christian anarchy, seeking to go to classic liberalism, you're removing the authority, you remove the mechanics, and then ultimately you remove the doctrine. Now that frightens people to death. Uh, I don't know why, I really don't know why. If we remove doctrine, making it entirely subjective and in the hands of the Holy Spirit, in the individual's life, the need for religious authority wanes and the practices become liberated. Because most lockups have varied practices, they're really not that important. What is important to people, what they die on, what they really die on, are doctrines. That's when people get their heckles up and knives out. It's the doctrine that really seriously divides. And because of that, we have unauthorized human authorities stepping in and we allow them to reign over our group because they're the police force for doctrine. They say that thought, that belief is wrong. Quiet you, out you, excommunicate you. You see how it works? That's the relationship. So um, because we want to stand on certainty and because we want to stand on uh, tradition, we allow that to happen. And people usually say there has to be a right way. There has to be. And therefore, there's going to be a whole bunch of wrong ways. 
And uh, when it comes to practice, and I say, give me an example, and they say, there's a right way to do communion or baptize, and they will fight for a time only to ultimately see that communion and water baptism are done a thousand different ways by a thousand different churches. So then they sort of surrender, and uh, they don't. But when it comes to doctrine, most people will fight to the death. That is the one where they will say, okay, we can talk about authority, we can talk about mechanics of faith, but when you talk about doctrine, boy, uh, no, I can't, I can't let that go. And they build denominations on that plot of ground. Okay, we have a doctrine now that we embrace. If you come into our building, this doctrine guides what you are about. And if you differ with that, our authority will come down on you. I propose a better way uh, to different and differing doctrines among believers, a way which will underline the fact that all religious authority is unnecessary and all religious practices are the same and they're up to the individual. And let me put it this way. People believe what they want anyway. People all, I don't care, you could put them all in a room, you could put the outside of that building, call it the, the Presbyterians, and it can fill up with Presbyterians and the Presbyterian pastor who claims to have authority will get up and teach. And I guarantee you that everybody in that room not only has the right to a differing opinion, many of them have differing opinions, even though they go into the same building. So the fact of the matter is when it comes to doctrine, it's always been subjective. It's always been interpreted by the individual. And to say otherwise is ridiculous. I became aware of this fact 14 years ago. I took 1,200 flights in a 10-year period, flying back and forth from Southern California to Salt Lake City. 1,200 takeoff and landings. And on those flights, they called it the Disney flight because the Mormons here in Utah love to put on their fake Disney ears, the Mickey ears, and they get on with their kids to go to Disneyland. And they go to Long Beach, right? So I was on that flight every twice a week. And on that flight, I was sitting next to a number of Mormons, right? And what would happen is I would get involved in conversation with them. They would say, yeah, we have a prophet. He's a living prophet. He's the authority. We have 12 apostles. They're the authority. Oh, and what do they teach us? Oh, they teach us how to do baptism. They teach us how to do confirmations. They teach us how to do everything, everything. Oh, so what do you think about um, polygamous marriage? Oh, I don't believe that. Oh, what do you think about uh, blood atonement? Oh, oh, I don't believe that. Oh, what do you think about this thing or that thing or this thing or that thing? I heard, I don't believe that more than I heard fasten your seatbelt. Why? Because people believe what they want to believe. And I don't know why we as Christians don't just accept that about human nature. There are people who believe in a trinity that they can't explain. There's people who believe in abinity that they can't explain. There's people who believe in modalism that they can't explain. There's people who say things they don't even know if they believe or not. Every single facet of the faith is up to the individual. And we don't accept that. We are, what we do is we keep saying we are going to systematize beliefs, doctrines, practices through authority. And we're going to, what we're going to do is establish this amongst ourselves. I think the better way is to say, believe what you want. We'll let our teachers and our preachers say in the best that they can. They may be right, they may be wrong. And let's let the individuals sitting in the congregation decide what they believe and what they don't. And don't force them into dogmatic corners. Don't s signing faith statements and committing themselves to one uh, denominational way or another. Why don't we just, as all believers, just say, hey, let's look at the anarchistic approach to get to the classic liberal approach and let people be who they're going to be and let God decide if their doctrine was right or not. Let God decide if they had it right. Why do we need to police people? Why, do, why have we set it up this way? These are the fundamentals of the faith, the fundamentals of, of everything uh, I have been talking about. Doctrines divide. They really do. And it is in the division that false authorities sprout up and take charge. And then they demand proper mechanics. So we all believe what we want to believe anyway, no matter what the authorities say. 
a Baptist preacher can get up and preach that God created people and he knew that most of them were going to burn forever and ever and ever in a literal flame-filled hell. And that's where all of them go. And there's people in that congregation who are going to say, you know, that just doesn't sit right in my heart. I just don't believe that. But they still go. Why don't we just accept that, you know? Study, pray, believe what you think, what you want, as directed by the Spirit. And along the way, allow all people the same right. That's the key. Along the way, allow all people the same right. People who say, God's a trinity, hell is eternal. I love you, brother. You can believe that. Whatever it is, right? So... The thing is, is wrapping this up, there are going to be people who say, no, it's got to be doctrine. It's got to be denomination. We have authority. These are the way the mechanics are done. And guess what? In the anarchistic approach to the faith, we have to say, love you. That's okay. Keep going. Whatever it is. You want to, you want to believe that? That's okay. I don't believe that. You do. We are brothers. That's the key, is to allow that individualism to exist even when it is reprehensible to us and not argue. So that's where toleration comes in. To tolerate a view that you do not like, but to allow it to exist among you as a brother or sister espouses it. And that's key to the success and the future success of the faith. The former way hasn't worked. It's not working now and it's, it's becoming a dinosaur. And we're starting to see it, a dinosaur. It's, we're starting to see it around, and it's unfortunate, but it doesn't have to be that way. All right, I'm sorry, but we are going to go. You know what? How long have we gone, Seth? We're going over, um, but we're going to go to comments from last week really quickly. Relative to gay marriage, I recommend you watch that show, Gay Marriage. Um, Michael Grodinjnik says, this is gold. And I think it is gold. I think it's a good perspective on gay marriage. So check that one out. Eric Lawton on the Book of Mormon Doctrine and Covenants Contradiction. Wendy insists on putting these videos up of me in my old heavier days when I just got out of uh, theology school, ministry school. And I look like Drew Carey. So... This is up, and Eric Lawton says, Hey, Sean, 8,500 plus subscribers and only 550 views. Not going too well so far. You need to look a little bit more like Drew Carey, maybe. LOL. <laughs> Why are you so mean, dude? I, Drew Carey's kind of a handsome guy, I think. <laughs> Why be so mean? Why 8,005 subscribers and only 550 views? Why would you say that to me? What is it about that you, I mean, you get online and you write mean things to people? Why? I don't understand that, Eric Lawton. I'm looking at a picture of you. I don't understand why you would have to do that. Michael, about the God has never left us show, says, never thought it would happen to me, but I found Jesus and left the Mormon church. Praise God. That's awesome. Lindsay Lindsay says, really wonderful broski about God has never left us show. We go on and let's see here on an interview with Lindsay Hansen uh, Park, the executive director of Sunstone. Uh, Joe Connolly said, which happened first? Pregnant Fanny leaves the Smith home in Kirtland or Elijah restoring the ceiling keys of the Kirtland priesthood? I don't know the answer to that, but it's a funny question. And then Chompin on Chomsky part two, people of the free gift wrote, why do you always have to lead everything at campus and heart of the matter, Sean? It's a good question. Is it simply because nobody else will? Question mark. You say you don't collect offerings, but do you accept donations? What's the difference? Sounds like this is a challenge. I guess. I lead everything at campus and heart of the matter because I started everything at campus and heart of the matter. I mean, I'm the one who is kind of put in the position to do it. Uh, we At campus, we have had other people get up and teach, 
in my absence, and even when I'm here, people have asked if they could say something, and I say, I don't care, whatever you want to do. I'm only a teacher. That's all I am. I don't have any authority, none at all. I don't claim it. I simply teach, and I admit that I'm wrong on a lot of things I say and do. That goes hand in hand with our title, Christian Anarchist Meeting to Prayerfully Understand Scripture. So it's not like I'm the only one who gets to say anything, but I would say this. If, let's say, the group decided we want a bunch of teachers, I would probably go do my own thing. I, I have a, believe I have a special call on my life, not maybe not from God, but in my own person relative to this world to do what I do. So I do what I do, and I don't make an apology for it. So, uh, And then in terms of you don't collect offerings, but do you accept donations, what's the difference? Brother, are you sure you don't understand the difference? You really don't understand the difference of that? That we could be do, holding up collections three times during a service like some churches do? That we could be telling there's a need in the group and we need you to give? That we could end every show with give, give, give? The Lord wants you to give? You don't understand the difference between simply accepting uh, donations and then uh, allowing people to freely give them if they want, treating everybody the same, and then taking up donations? Come on, man. Uh, on God has never left us, Seek Fine says, love the look. It's when I had my uh, long beard, long hair look. And uh, Chuck Graham says, brother, I believe you're understanding the verge of God and the Son. It's not modalism. It's not Trinitarianism. It's one God, the Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ. I believe the biblical Unitarians have it right. I cannot disagree with one God, the Father, and Jesus Christ. That's what Scripture says. That's what Paul says. So I agree with it. John Bystrom. Oh, man. Let me just stop for a second. The show, We Get What We Want, really ruffled some feathers. People hated that show. They came out and have said some really strong things. And my, the basic principle of people get what they want is exactly that. I think people get what they want. Now, let me explain that. It's within the circumstance that they're in. If I'm living in communist Russia, if it was communist Russia still, if I'm living under Pol Pot, if I'm living wherever, I will get what I want relative to those circumstances. I will, I will blossom or I will decline, but I will do what I want in that. I am a firm believer of that. That upset people. And so they, they start throwing things at me. And John says, this does not apply to orphans, single mothers, or targeted individuals. Screw us, right? It's pissed them off, you know? For me to say, you're just getting, you're getting what you want. I believe if you're a targeted individual, you can choose to rise above or fall below. That's up to you. It's up to what you want. If you're an orphan or a single mother, you will decide what you want. And that circumstance is my point. I'm not saying that you wanted to be a targeted uh, person or a single mother or an orphan. No, 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 never. But I'm saying with what you have given you in your life circumstances, every individual will ultimately do what they want, get what they want out of their life uh, as far as their desires go, right? And they don't, no one liked that message at all. Uh, Sean says in my interview with Kwaku L, Sean is a great and engaged listener. Um, Esther Wilson on Chompin' on Chomsky part two said, this guy, speaking of me, is a fool. Um, I asked Esther in what way, and I didn't get a response. I, I just don't like that. I mean, why give a name? Why call a name? Say, I don't agree with Sean on these points, and I think that he's ignorant in the fact that. But to say this guy's a fool, those are um, uh, ad hominem attacks on the, on the person, and, they're, and they're, they do no good for anybody. Easy to write that. So they, they kind of, they, they irritate me, to be honest with you. Uh, Kenya Mendez has phenomenal teaching. I loved how you used Chomsky anarchy definition and how it can have more than one application. I'm glad uh, that you understood that, Kenya, because he does have more applications than just political. And again, let me reiterate, I am not uh, in, a, in agreement with Chomsky relative to his, uh, all of his political ideals. Uh, nor do I respect the man in the least regarding God. I have no respect for him as a man who uh, speaks about God. Uh, I don't think he knows what he's talking about. 
Leanne, Sarah, Sarah Young said campus isn't popular because people are afraid of freedom. They're afraid of things that challenge the traditions of men. If you've seen or read the Shawshank Redemption, it makes me think of Red when he talks about being institutionalized. These walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them, then you get to depend on them, he says. And that is true. And that is true. And, and the guy earlier said, 8,500 followers and only 500 people watching. Look, I don't expect to be popular. How could I? I'm preaching something that people don't like. It's unsettling. We want to be in bondage to things. That's proven by how we live our lives. So when you give them freedom, it's not really the, the choice. Moonlight on Chomsky says this is awesome. Glass F. Castle says it's not fair to men. I thought you were going to say it. Uh, I don't know what he means by that, but he did change his name. And for you, I am eternally grateful. Thank you for changing that name. A.W., talking about we get what we want. With this idea, charity comes to a halt. You get what you want due to the work that you do or don't do. Why should I care at all at that point what condition people are in? Well, I think by the Holy Spirit, you naturally do. I think I get what I want. I really do. I'm getting what I want. And yet I do have charity for other people. Perhaps they don't have the desires to, to or the... Uh, ability to effectuate those desires properly. You have love for them. You have compassion on them. That's why I don't understand the comment, A.W. Uh, Ian Smith, also greatly insulted by that show, says, can't believe you are so narrow-minded. There is so much more to consider than a middle-class guy sitting in a warm office contemplating why he has underachieved. I don't know if he's talking to me, <laughs> I said, elaborate, please. He didn't elaborate. I don't, I mean, I, there's so much more than being a narrow-minded guy sitting in a warm office contemplating why I've underachieved. Obviously, if we get what we want, and that's my postulation, I don't see myself as having underachieved. I see myself as getting what I want. So that comment doesn't make sense, you know? And, and, and if you're talking about me, I'd like to understand that. Vanessa Braga talks about, I'm not one, she says, what about what God wants? Uh, I am a firm believer in a two-way street between God and man. I renounce the Calvinistic idea that he points, there's sovereignty, and you don't have a choice. I think freedom is more important to God than anything, including faith and love. Why? Because without freedom, you can't have real love. You can't have real faith. You cannot remove freedom from the equation. And so freedom and liberty are paramount to what God is and wants. And what does God want? He wants what you want. And if you want to love him and you want to be in relationship with him, he wants that. And he's ready to help you get there with all he's got. But if you don't, he's willing to support that. Ian, so Syrian refugees living in squalor are getting what they want. Ian, you missed the whole point. I've never said the circumstances are what we want. I said, within those circumstances, people will rise or fall depending on what they really desire. I'm not going to read Old Religion Dystopia. He went on this long as a diatribe against me. Again, I think he missed something. And he sent two posts. Charlie uh, Clark wrote, this would line up with the theory that we create our own destiny. And in a sense, I think that's true. In a sense. And I, I don't believe the atheistic idea that we don't have free choice and we are all deterministically driven by what our circumstances are. I think that within our circumstances, there is uh, free will and an ability to rise or fall depending on, again, what we want. Um, we're going to wrap it up. I'm sorry. Oh, John Bystrom said, Job would disagree with we get what we want, okay? And again, you know, it's a good point, but Job really did get what he want. He, he got what he wanted in that story. Did he get the circumstances? Again, not talking about circumstances. Did he get the final result that Job wanted? He certainly did, which was what? His heart was for God, and that was proven. God said, you test my servant, Job. Go ahead, because God knew Job will not cater. He will not cave to circumstantial uh, uh, things that are happening to him. Job will get what he wants. 
Job will not renounce me because Job wants a relationship with me. And so in the end, we see that Job is successful in that. Job got what he wanted. No, he didn't want to lose his children, his family, and all his goods to the disaster. I'm not talking about the circumstances. Understand that. I'm, I'm talking about us getting what we want relative to God from our heart in life. And that's the point. Uh, and then there's a whole bunch of comments about Fanny Alger. And then Meniscus says, going against the Holy Trinity is just a really bad idea. It shows the person or group of persons doing it to be inept theologians and most likely without the guidance of God, the Holy Spirit. Turn from the abyss you are descending into and receive God in faith and trust as he has revealed himself to be. Yahweh, the Holy Trinity. And so I completely support your uh, uh, ability to believe in, in that meniscus. I absolutely don't believe that. I think the scripture and Paul plainly says who God is. He's the Father. And there is the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that's what I stand on, what scripture says. Not what men said 200, 300 years later. And we're going to stop with that. i am lost my voice. We are going to continue on uh, talking and learning how to walk in the age of fulfillment and to get to that place where the faith is full of liberty and freedom so that we can have faith and we can love. See you on Heart of the Matter next week.